We are just a few weeks away from celebrating our 75th anniversary as a church family. Uh, you can mark your calendar Sunday, October the 10th, 10.30 a.m. in person at 611 King Street West. We'd love to have you come join us. Uh, we're going to be celebrating with Dr. Wayne and Ann Hilsden, who are coming all the way from Jerusalem. Uh, Wayne has spent some of his formative years growing up here in Oshawa at King Street Community Church. And uh, he's given at least 25 plus years to serve King of Kings Church in Jerusalem. And then now has started a, a ministry called FIRM, which is Fellowship of his of Israel-related ministries, where there are a host of Matthew 25 projects that help people who struggle with what our culture would call humanitarian need. And uh, so it's a nice blend of meeting physical, tangible needs, as well as um, gospel proclamation. And we wanna raise $25,000 to partner with all that God's doing over in Israel. We're also uh, preparing 150 Operation Christmas Child boxes to send to under-resourced children and families around the world. And you can be a part of that. You can go to our website, kingstreet.org, to donate to the Matthew 25 Israel Project, as well as you can stop by the office if you're not worshiping with us in person on Sundays to pick up your um, Operation Christmas Child box. And um, all the information is on our website about when those boxes are due back to the church so that we can put them in the hands of children by Christmas time. We'd love to have you come and celebrate with us. We're going to have food trucks here. We're going to hear from Dr. Wayne Hills. Then it's going to be a wonderful time of looking back and gaining some strength and confidence as we look forward. You don't want to miss that 75th anniversary worship gathering. Again, it's Sunday, October the 10th at 10.30 a.m. on Thanksgiving weekend. So today we're continuing our series of scripture talks called Decisions, Decisions. And as we learned last week, decisions are doorways that take us to places. The thing about decisions is we can't undo them once they're done. Uh, they take us to places and oftentimes they take us to wonderful places when we make good decisions. And at other times when we make regrettable choices, we end up in um, a setting that we wish was maybe a little different. And so we're going to talk today about what it means to um, what we do after making a poor decision, because it would be wonderful if we always made good decisions all the time. But the truth is, as human beings who are frail and sometimes fail, we sometimes make poor decisions. Well, what do we do after we've made a poor decision? Um, our decisions characterize who we are and what's most important to us. If you remember last week, we talked about how it's important to spend consistent time reading scripture. It helps us with our vision and our values and listening to the right voices in life and how we're supposed to pay attention to the promptings of the spirit. The spirit is a wonderful counselor who cautions us and convicts us and coaches us along life's way. And we can listen for his voice as he guides and directs us. And then we talked about staying rooted or connected to a community of faith. We make decisions for ourselves, but not by ourselves. And so um, this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to um, look back in hindsight at a regrettable moment or a regrettable decision and how we respond. I think it's important for us to understand again, as Ruth Haley Barton helped us last week to consider that there are some fun foundational theological underpinnings that will really help us gain confidence as we make our decisions in life. Because some decisions are straightforward. Scripture says really clearly what we should avoid or what we should pursue. But at other times, there are just complexities and complicated decisions that confront us. And it's not always easy for us to find our way. And so we should uh, take confidence knowing that God is good. Uh, that we ought to pursue love and that the Holy Spirit speaks with us. We can uh, take confidence knowing that, that even if we make a misstep, God in his goodness reclaims and redeems even our poorest decisions. 
and love, God is love, love ought to be our primary calling. And so we ask ourselves the question, what does love require of me in this moment at this time? And, uh, and then as well to pay attention to the spirit as we've already talked about. So today we'll consider what to do when we've made a poor decision. Our passage to ponder that we'll be working through over the next number of weeks is taken from Proverbs chapter 19, verses two and three. It helps us with three very helpful principles as we consider decision-making. And here's what the writer of Proverbs uh, shares with us today. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes and people ruin their lives by their own foolishness. And then we have a tendency to be angry at God. And so again, enthusiasm without knowledge, if we are making decisions when we are emotionally charged, we're probably not in the right frame of mind to be making really important uh, life-defining or fork-in-the-road decisions. And then also, haste makes mistakes. Sometimes when we rush or we feel hurried, we can find ourselves in an awkward place where we just uh, don't take the time required in order to think through the ramifications of the choice that's in front of us. And then sometimes when we make regrettable decisions or poor choices, we can be quick to blame others and often blame God. And so uh, the writer of Proverbs today cautions us as we make our own decisions. Now, again, as we set out on this teaching this morning, we're going to remind ourselves of this proverb, chapter 24, verse 16. This is so helpful for all of us. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. We may make a mistake. We may make a misstep, uh, but we keep getting up again. That's who we are. Um, to be a Jesus-following person doesn't mean that we are without our errors or without our mistakes or missteps. It means that we find grace and mercy in our time of need and the, and the power to get up and keep going. And so um, life is about learning, and we learn to make good decisions. And uh, we also learn from our poor choices. We grew up in our own families where our parents maybe modeled wonderful decision-making, Maybe you grew up in a home where that wasn't modeled quite as consistently. Uh, we learn to make good decisions and often by making poor decisions. Um, there's a principle in the New Testament called the law of the harvest. And it helps us learn as outcomes can be a wonderful tutor. Um, the outcomes of our decision making can provide feedback for us so that we can actually in hindsight look back and say this course of action or this uh, decision I made led to this outcome. And so it can be a wonderful tutor, the law of the harvest. And here's how it goes. Galatians chapter six, beginning in verse seven, you will always harvest what you plant. We reap what we sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful, sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And so Paul says there is a law of the harvest. What you plant in the garden of your life will grow up to either bless or curse you. Uh, you cannot get a different um, product or harvest or fruit from the seed that you plant. Um, it is directly correlated. And so our choices lead to certain outcomes. And, uh, but I do want to remind us today, Perfection is not the goal, but progress is the goal in the kingdom of God. And with the help of the spirit, we can make progress. And so I like how Andy Stanley says this. He says, um, well, first of all, 
processing our regrettable moments requires asking the why behind the what. If we've made a poor decision and we just continue to uh, persevere on that trajectory, uh, we won't do any learning. But after we have made a poor decision, we can pause and ask ourselves the question, what was it that led me to make the decision I made? The why behind the what can inform us so that we can learn and get better. And like Andy Stanley says, he says, to decide our way into a better future, we must develop the uncomfortable habit of telling ourselves the uncomfortable truth regarding why we are choosing to do what we are choosing to do. And that can be really painful and really hard to step back and to be honest with ourselves. Personal and spiritual maturity requires self-awareness. If we're going to grow and be at our best and live our best life, we're going to have to grow our God-awareness and our self-awareness, and that leads to spiritual and personal maturity. So today I have two categories for you, what not to do after making a poor decision and what to do after making a poor decision. We'll go to the Older Testament first and then we'll come back to the New Testament and we'll uh, hopefully learn a few things as we move along. So here's the first thought, what not to do after making a poor decision. Um, the Bible opens in Genesis chapter one with a Hebrew poem where a good creator goes to work and he creates wonderful things. He creates the universe and all that we know around us today. He makes the beautiful things, the fruitful things. And the apex of his good creation is that he makes uh, the first humans, the first man, the first woman. And he makes them in his image and in his likeness. And he says that it is very good, that they are very good. But they are confronted with a decision uh, they could choose to define what good and evil is for themselves, or they could choose to lean into God and be dependent upon him and adopt what he says about what is best and right for life. And so as the story unfortunately unfolds, the first man and the first woman chose to define for themselves what was good and best. And it led to what we have called the fall of humankind. And so in verse seven of chapter three of the book of Genesis, we learn what happens next what to do after or what not to do after making a poor decision. Here we pick up the story, verse seven of chapter three of the book of Genesis. In that moment, after they made a poor decision, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. God was coming looking for his friends to go for a walk. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So the first thing not to do after making a poor decision is to not allow shame and fear to keep us from God. Um, humans instinctively hide when they feel vulnerable. It's a defense mechanism that we adopt to cover ourselves. And when we're uncomfortable with uh, what we've done or with who we are, uh, we tend to opt for hiding. And that was the case for the first man and the first woman. They felt vulnerable and they hid from the one that they had known previously. They didn't want to be seen as they were. Shame and fear had become toxic for them and they ended up hiding their true identity. Hiding can lead to seeking approval from others, from performing to prove to ourselves that we're capable. Sometimes it can lead to overcompensating or even addictions. Uh, when we are experiencing a measure of shame and fear, 
It can keep us from a walk with God. And we end up covering ourselves as the first man and the first woman did. That's not what we ought to do after we've made a poor decision. A couple of verses later, the text says, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me uh, who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman replied, the servant deceived me. That's why I ate it. If you pay attention to this passage, you'll notice that not only does the first man, the first woman out of fear and shame go and hide, but they chose to blame others and not take responsibility for their choices. So if we're going to be at our best and live the best life possible, we're going to have to make sure that we don't spend too much of our life and energy hiding from one another and covering ourselves, but to be comfortable with who we are, not letting fear and shame get the upper hand on the backside of a poor decision that we've made. And we're also going to have to learn how to take responsibility and not blame others for our choices. If you recall the proverb that we referenced in our passage to ponder, it's instinctively human for us to pass the buck onto somebody else for the poor circumstances we find ourselves in. Now, sometimes life happens and there are things that are outside of our control, no question about it. But there are many other times when we've exercised our freedom and we've chosen accordingly and we have made our own bed, so to speak. And uh, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Um, life can be complicated, of course. There can be influences and all sorts of uh, factors that influence us to be the way we are. No question about that either. But we have the freedom to choose. And when we choose poorly, we need to acknowledge that we have chosen poorly. Um, humans have a proclivity toward deception or towards straight up lying. And unfortunately, the person that we uh, deceive the most frequently is ourselves. Uh, we are very uncomfortable with the truth. And yet Jesus says that it's the truth that will liberate and set us free. Taking responsibility may be hard, but it's incredibly liberating. And on the other side of a poor decision is an opportunity to remain stubbornly resolute in denying responsibility and blaming others. Or in humility, we can look for life lessons so that we can grow and get better. And so what we learn from the first man and the first woman following God's beautiful act of creation is that they um, mishandled their freedom, chose to live independent of God, to find for themselves what is best, right, and good. And they ended up um, making a poor decision. And what not to do on the other side of a poor decision is allow fear and shame to get the upper hand in our life and to stay hidden from others and to be uncomfortable with who we are or also to blame others and fail to take responsibility. And so that's our first thought for, this, uh, for today is what not to do after making a poor decision. Now we can turn our attention proactively to what to do after making a poor decision. Uh, scripture's filled with stories of men and women who got it right, but not all the time. And uh, the apostle Peter was a close friend of the Lord Jesus. And uh, he got it right sometimes, but um, sometimes not so much. And uh, there's a moment of irony that reminds us that we are capable of getting it right in one moment and then very wrong in the next moment. And isn't this true about all of us? We can be at our best one day and then unfortunately resemble something that looks more like our worst the next. And so um, there's this point in the gospel story that John records for us where Jesus was losing followers. People were just walking away from him. 
And this is a talk for another day, but smaller isn't always negative. Uh, sometimes smaller can be better, but there were a host of disciple friends that were just walking away from Jesus because where this messianic campaign was going was creating some discomfort for them. And uh, this is how the text plays out in John chapter 6, beginning at verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples, these are Jesus' disciples, turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. And so Jesus asks his disciple friends, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter speaks up on behalf of the, the uh, other 11. And he says, where else could we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. It's a wonderful story where Peter says, our dependence is on you, Lord. And in fact, we have nowhere else to go. We're not going to desert you. We're all in disciples. We're going to follow you. And uh, we're committed. We're amping up our commitment level. And then um, later in the gospel story, the gospel of John, we read that Peter um, failed and he failed under pressure and stress levels were up and this messianic campaign that in their mind was leading to a wonderful place of victory seemed to be coming to a sudden stop and victory wasn't on the horizon. In fact, it looked like a terrible defeat as Jesus was arrested. Peter was confronted by some people who accused him of being a friend of Jesus. And Peter was resolute in his denial that he was not a friend of this Galilean. And so he distanced himself between, uh, put some distance between himself and Jesus so that he would protect his own skin. And uh, so in one moment, where else could we go? And then in the next moment, he's saying, I'm out of here. And this is so true about us as human beings. So I've got five quick thoughts for you about the restorative cycle of improved decision-making according to the story of Peter. So they all begin with the letter R. We'll start with the first one, regrettable moments. Uh, he denies that he even knows Jesus. He has this moment when after the, the uh, rooster crows that he is aware of what Jesus had told him he, he would do, that he was vulnerable to giving in like the other disciples who had left him. And Peter was resolute, no, I'll never deny you, Lord. But he had a regrettable moment and he failed. And Peter's heart was sullen over his misstep and over his lack of courage. And so we've all had regrettable moments. And what prompted Peter's regrettable moment was fear. Fear doesn't cause us to be at our best. Fear actually clouds our thinking and doesn't help us decide well. And so whenever we feel emotions that are fear-based, we need to just slow down our important decision-making so that we can make better decisions. So there's a regrettable moment that Peter experiences and we've experienced as well. Then there's the return to Peter's old way of life. After Jesus was crucified, Peter went back. He was experiencing incredible disappointment and he went back to his old way of life. Instead of being a fisher of men, he went back to fishing for fish. And Jesus at one point on the journey changed Peter's name and called him Rock that he was as solid as a rock. And, uh, but he's actually resembling a little more of a jellyfish in this moment. And he goes back to fishing with his friends. Disappointment can cause us to go back to that which is familiar, to our old way of life. And sometimes the disappointment is with us. We're disappointed in ourselves. Probably that's the most painful disappointment in life is when we have disappointed ourselves by making a poor decision. 
Um, and so we keep moving through this, this cycle of restorative, improved decision-making. And uh, the third R is run to Jesus. So after Peter has denied he knows the Lord Jesus and he's returned to his old way of life, he is uh, out fishing with his friends and Jesus, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, comes to his disciple friends. And what a beautiful scene in John chapter 21. He makes breakfast for his disciple friends. That's what Jesus does for his friends. He makes them breakfast. Jesus is a servant. He washes their feet. Now he makes them breakfast. And he invites them to come out and to enjoy some time. And when Peter realizes it's Jesus, he ran to him. He ran to Jesus. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, when we have failed or made a poor decision, the last thing we want to do is run to Jesus because we listen to those negative internal critic voices that tell us that Jesus won't accept us or that there's not enough grace for us or we have failed one too many times. That is not true of the gospel of Jesus. There was room for Peter even after his failure and Jesus came looking for him. This restorative cycle of making better decisions, Jesus comes and he makes him breakfast. And Peter doesn't have to stay away from Jesus. He can come with his embarrassment and his shame and Jesus receives him. And then fourthly, Jesus restores him to wholeness. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times he denied that he knew Jesus. And now three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know that I love you. And he actually gets this opportunity. It's not by accident that three times Peter denied and three times Jesus asks the question. He gives Peter an on-ramp, a way back. And, and Peter is enabled to make that um, good decision where Jesus comes alongside as a safe person for Peter who is looking to restore him and invites him to redirect the trajectory of his life. And then I love this last part. He is recommissioned for service. He says to him, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. After Peter says, you know that I love you. He says, well, I've got some work for you to do. First and foremost, it's you and I being in right relationship that you're orienting your life around Jesus as King, that you are loving God with your whole heart. And then now I've got some work for you to do, to join me in kingdom work in this world. And what's really, really cool about this story, as you turn through the pages of scripture, especially if you're new to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospel accounts. Then we get to a book of Acts where we see the spirit of God working through the church, the people of God. And God uses Peter by his spirit to make a courageous um, declaration that Jesus is king in the face of some adversarial audience. Uh, and people respond by saying yes to the announcement, the kingdom announcement that Jesus is king. And so God uses Peter in Acts chapter two, where thousands of people put their saving faith in Christ. This one who had lost his voice behind or before a young servant girl now finds his voice with the Spirit's enablement to make that wonderful proclamation and God used him in incredible ways. And so it is true that we have regrettable moments and we are tempted to return to our old way of life, but God by his Spirit invites us to run to Jesus where we'll be received and restored to wholeness and then recommissioned for service. So. The last thought for you today is this, don't allow the whisper of the evil one or the enemy or the critical self to keep you from the ultimate source of grace, mercy, and peace, which is Jesus himself. He comes looking for people like us who have regrettable moments and wanna to return to our old way of life. And he invites us back in, not to judge us or shame us, but to receive us and to make us whole again.
So I want to pray for you, and then we'll invite our host pastors to come back. Father, thank you again today for this invitation for us to um, avoid fear and shame and the blame game and the the temptation to avoid taking responsibility and instead, God, to uh, choose to run to Jesus where we can be restored and recommissioned to be useful in your kingdom. Pray, God, again today that you would help each one and especially the person who feels like they have stepped out one too many times. I pray that the mercy and the grace of God would meet them and cause the beauty and the goodness of God's restorative love to come and to transform their life. And so, um, God, we thank you that there's enough grace for our regrettable moments. And uh, we love you and honor you today. And our final request is, Lord, make us useful in your kingdom and help us to uh, roll up our sleeves and go to work and make breakfast for other people and be a, a source of restoration for others who are in the middle of their regrettable moments. Help us to be a community of grace where we lavish um, just that wonderful, unconditional love that God has lavished on us. And we pray this in the wonderful name of God, who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.